when you read these reports and you see the Asian graphics of the world and their observations about Yorkshire and institutional racism and classism and elitism, what's what's your reaction to it? Well, I don't know where it is, but I haven't played in the dressing room like that ever. What what is basketball? Well, I don't know. It's something that someone's concocted in the media. Mm-hmm and uh, it's stuck and I don't think the players enjoy it very much. Talk about hating Aussies. There's one you do hate, right? There's only one. Yeah. Chapel, right? Ian Chapel. Yeah. yeah. This is Upfront with me, Simon Jordan. I believe there are a lot of vacuous, uninformed, unchallenged opinions out there. I want to get to the bottom line and cut through the nonsense. So with this podcast with William Hill, I'm going to get people with strong views who think they can stand them up to proper scrutiny. There's a good chance I might learn something along the way and more importantly... So might you. Joining me in today's episode, a man considered by many as one of England's greatest all-rounders. Headlines on and off the pitch, amassing 5,200 test runs and taking 383 test wickets along the way. He's raised millions for charity and even takes a seat in the House of Lords. Ian Botham, welcome to Upfront. Thank you, sir. Nice to see you. When I have this, I have this image in my mind, and I'll take you to a space in my life, when I'm 13 years of age, I'm playing in the Colts, um, and I've got a little bit of batting practice being given to me by Mark Butcher's dad, yeah. Alan Butcher. And I come home from school, and I say to my father, I want a Duncan Fernley bat. And he says, why do you want that? I said, because Botham's got one. <laughs> That's the kind of space and place I think that someone like you has has sort of carved out for himself in the sport in terms of transcending sport. But one of the first questions I always ask you guys that have operated at the highest level is what was it that made you? What was it that created? What were the driving forces that put you in play to be to be what you became? Well, I suppose I learned very quickly at school that um, playing sport for a living is a lot better than working. So uh, I stuck to that throughout. But um, no, I think the thing was I knew I, I, knew I had a talent and See, so many times you see kids with talent, but yep. they they just drift away. And I was quite determined. I was registered with Somerset at the age of 14. And uh, then I had to make a choice between football and uh, cricket and Burthead. The, the I was going to say to you, is that right? Yeah. That there was a, an interest for you at Palace? He came down to see my parents. Did he? Yeah, to see if they uh, if they would approve of him signing apprenticeship or whatever it was right. in those days. And I sat down with Father Les afterwards and uh, after he had uh, departed and I just said to my dad, what do you reckon? He says, yeah, it's very good. He says, but you're a much better cricketer. Right. And then a footballer. And he played a high level of football. What were you, centre forward? Centre half. Centre half? Yeah. One of the two. Yeah, didn't really matter. Sometimes I still centre forward was maybe centre half. Yeah. Took me that long to get back. Right. So cricket was the calling. But my, my point was more about there are levels. There are guys that go into professional sport and have a very good living at it and do very well at it and and have a reasonably long career or a moderately short one, mm. depends if they're injured. And then there's guys like you. What made you become so irrepressible, so good at what you did, um, that you commanded and demanded? Not, Dennis Compton didn't write the most complimentary things about you, I think, back in the mid-'70s. Dennis who? Dennis, okay, I'll leave that one alone. <laughs> I'll ask his son. Um, but... What was it that turned you into this irrepressible force? That's just not just because there's lots of talent out there, aren't there? Lots of people have got talent, but it's about then translating that talent into outcomes where you're the best in your field. Well, I, look, I, I just had confidence, lots of confidence, which I think is important. 
bordering at times when I was younger, maybe on, with arrogance. But uh, that's not a bad thing, I don't think, if you want to be... A, at the end of the day, if you're determined and you want to go to the top in your sport, you have to make a lot of sacrifices on the yep. way. And you have to have tunnel vision. And I had tunnel vision. I didn't want to, I brushed everything aside. I wanted to play cricket. Once I once I signed on, then that was it. Do you, and I'm, I've always had this sort of thing about confidence and arrogance. You see, I don't like the word arrogant. No. I don't like the word aggressive. What we do in this country, I don't know if you feel the same way, is when someone's assertive right, and know what they want, people say, he's an aggressive bastard mm. because it's a way of diminishing you. And when someone's got real confidence and belief in themselves, mm. They then switch it into arrogance mm. because it's a it's a word that takes people into a space where they can demean you. Do do you think that you were arrogant because if because you described it yourself? Mm -hmm. I'm not suggesting that it's the right description of yourself, but was that because I think people that are arrogant lack substance. You don't lack substance, no. right? So confidence or arrogance? Well, it's confidence, but yeah. uh, sometimes you have to compare that with arrogance to get the message through. Yeah. So it's in, you know, if you drive through the middle of those two, but um, no, without that, you won't achieve anything in sport. You've got to be, have that tunnel vision. Single-minded belief. Absolutely, yeah. totally. This inherent self-belief that I think you've exuded all your life by the sounds of it, where did it come from? Did it Was it installed in you by, by parental influence? Is it just part of what made you, you? Do you know, a lot of people ask me that question, even people I was playing with when in my 20s and my 30s. Uh, and uh, to be honest with you, I have no idea. To me, it just, I'm, you, I want to be competitive. Yeah. And you've got to be in the kitchen uh, to, to be at the hot, top. Yeah. Yeah, yeah, of course. And uh, so, and the other thing that helped as well is that Viv Richards and I grew up together. Mm. So Viv um, joined Somerset and we made our first class debuts together uh, in 74 against Lancashire, and we we shared a house for 10 years. Well, I shared his house for 10 years. And uh, because we, my family were always based up in the north, uh, there was competition between us. Uh, but we he's, best, uh, he's godfather to uh, my son, Liam. Um, and we still now, to this day, I was over for his 70th birthday last year, or a year and a half ago in the Caribbean and he hasn't changed and the relationship hasn't changed. And those are special relationships. Yeah. He was some player, wasn't he? Yeah. He's a great player, but yeah. he's, a, he's a great human being as well. And, uh, you don't really see that side of him when he's out there playing, but when he walked out there, there, there was a presence. Yeah. I remember watching him. And he'd give that little swagger out and, uh, chewing the gum and ready to go. And, uh, I just think I loved that. And I thought that's, you know, that, I hope these young players are watching. And seeing if you're good enough and strong enough, and mentally phys and physically, that is, then you can go out there and do what Viv does. And I think I learned a lot from that. Uh, I also, are, you, are you easily influenced? No. No? Just by the right people? Yeah. In an I, ideal I, world. You, you sort of filter a lot of it yeah. out. Yeah. But um, no, I, mean, I had a very strong leader as a captain, for, which helped Viv and I. If he was sat here now, he would say exactly what I'm going to say now, and that is without Brian Close. Right who's the toughest character I've ever known mm. in the world of sport. I remember we were in a restaurant when the uh, Fraser uh, Alley fight came yeah. up and he just stood up and crowded <laughs> restaurant. Said, well, you tell me which one of those is going to knock me down, lad. And I just thought, okay, skip. Yeah. Well, but, what did tough look like to you? I mean, that's, that's an expression of an observation, but I mean, I've read things on Brian Close mm. and that's the thing that comes out all the time that he was very stoic and also very, very strong. 
and you knew where you stood with him. And he was fair. Yeah. And that's the big thing, isn't it? Absolutely. Yeah. And uh, you learned all sorts from him. Uh, he was fearless. Um, as you remember, he was brought, brought back when he was in his 40s to play against the West Indies. The might of the West Indies, the, that was the start of their reign of almost terror to a lot of batsmen. Mm -hmm. And they um, conquered uh, the world for, what, the next 20 years? Yeah. And they were the most formidable side that I think has ever played Test cricket. Right. When you were playing cricket, I mean, I spoke to Matt Letizia about football and trying to understand his motivations of always staying at Southampton. And his big thing was to go on the pitch and his main motivation was to entertain. Yeah. What was what was the most important thing for you? I think I know the answer, but... but... Well, we are entertainers. That's yeah. what we do. Uh, it's no different really than an actor walking onto the stage. You know, we're there and we're there to captivate the audience. And to captivate the audience, you've got to be pretty exciting. You've got to be doing it mm -hmm. well. I, I loved it. I walked out there. As soon as I stepped out into that field and walked out to the crease and the crowd, you know, waiting to see you. And um, no, it's just a great feeling. And I thought, I thought, I thought you'd have said win him. Well, winning, straight out of the gate. Well, I, I thought that would have been the, the default setting. Because well, I don't, I don't think I ever have to say that because I didn't play anything to lose. Yeah. So if you, if you're a pro and you're you want it enough, which I have done all my career, then the one thing that it's all about is tunneling everything to victory. When I say I wanted to entertain, I played with someone like Jeffrey Boycott. Yeah. And Jeffrey played his way. Yeah. Which took a lot of concentration mm -hmm. to be out there that length of time. I was, say, a little bit more flamboyant. I wanted to go out and if it was there to hit, uh, I would go at it. And, yeah, sometimes it cost me my wicket. But a lot of times it, it, uh, it won games for us. So I try to be positive and... Everyone plays their own way, and there's no point in someone trying to play like Jeffrey yeah. if you haven't got that temperament mm -hmm. and that determination. It's a different kind of temperament, different kind of determination. But at the end of the day, we're all going for the same thing, and that's win. Was it daunting for you? I mean, you made your test debut against the Australians in 77, which is what, what was that, Silver Jubilee year? Yeah, was the Queen, that's right. The yeah. Queen came yeah. to Trembridge, yeah. Um, was that, I mean, you made such an impact. To take a FIFA in your first game mm. is a big deal, isn't it? Mm. Yeah, especially against the old enemy. Yeah. yeah. But, uh, yeah, there's a number of things in that game that were quite remarkable. First and foremost, England were getting paid £200 a test match. Right. Not per day, for the whole game. And Overpaid them. Yeah, yeah, overpaid yeah. vastly, yeah. 60,000 people there, or 50,000 or 40,000 people there, and you're getting 200 quid. But uh, then Kerry Packer. Of course. Yeah. So when Kerry Packer, who I think every cricketer, that crowd, yeah. Oh, yeah. every cricketer in the world should... Should make a statue of him and just thank you because he changed the parameters absolutely yeah. and he changed the whole structure. Uh, the ECB and the uh, or MCC, it was in those days, or TCB, whichever one it was, and you had the Cricket Australia. Uh, they thought would fight this, you know, this is not going to happen. Well, he destroyed him in court, mm -hmm. back as men. And uh, it, overnight, on my debut, if I'd have started, I'd have got 200 pounds overnight. That changed. And this David Evans, uh, um, industrial uh, cleaning man who had made a lot of money, very mm -hmm. nice guy, lovely guy. And he actually walked in and said, no, no. He said, I'm going to pay each of the England players £1,000 right. to test. So that's quite an increase. And that was all down to Kerry Packer uh, coming in. But the whole game changed then. Um, one day cricket uh, under fl floodlights, coloured clothing, all this uh, came around. He was a character, Kerry Packer, though, wasn't he? Uh, sure. I knew his son, Jamie, quite when I was in Australia. And I used yeah. to go out, and I was buying a business in Australia, 
and you used to walk into casinos and everyone would give you, are you up with Mr. Packer? Uh, here's $10,000 line of credit. I'm like, why would I be given? Oh, because you're with Kerry Packer. Everyone gets a line of credit to go into casinos. He was a character, wasn't he? Well, we went, we were playing in Brisbane and he owned a casino down the Gold Coast. Mm-hmm. And he took us, had these limos turned up and the team, I hasten to add it was not during the middle of a game, but the team were all taken. Are you too busy smoking marijuana during that? <laughs> no, we went down to, straight away down to the coast, had our wives, and he gave all the wives, I think it was a $1,000 chip. Yeah. And he said to the girls, just go and cash it. Don't don't waste it. Is he the one? I think he is. When that There was a, a, a story going around about Kerry Pack, and I'm going off piece there, but that he was uh, at a table in, I think it was in Vegas, and there was a Texan there making a big noise about how much money he made. I've made fifty million. I've made 50 80 million. million. Eighty I can million. Tell you the numbers, and Kerry yeah. Packer said, "I'll flip you for it." Yeah. Yeah, it's absolutely true. And he, yeah. uh, he broke many a casino. Mm. Uh, he would only play the the table himself. He'd have the whole blackjack table. Yeah. He'd cover every box. Yeah. And uh, he didn't bet in fivers. Going back to you specifically as a cricketer, did you always know that you were going to be an all rounder? I don't think you think that way at the age. You know, when I was sort of seven, eight, nine, which is when I started to realize I could play the game. Yeah. You didn't really think of it as an all-rounder. I just thought, well, I'll bowl my couple of overs and then he'll bowl his couple of overs and I'll bat whatever. Yeah. And, and that's how it was. And then you develop and then you suddenly realize, or your senior players realize, hang on, you should do both here. Come on, let's get on with it. And the batting just just um, was much more natural to me. Was it? And the bowling got stronger and stronger. Right. What were you? What, what did you enjoy more? I enjoyed every aspect, to be honest. Um, I have a very, very low uh, threshold when it comes to uh, concentration, mm-hmm. and some of the guys would sit there and be quite. I'd be start cutting socks in yeah. half and okay. you know, things like that, just to you know, they pull the socks on. Yeah, oh no, he's had just it to again. Amuse yourself and others around you. Yeah, yeah but um, I love being involved. I felt it slip most of my career, mm-hmm. uh, bowled, batted, and was try to keep myself in the game as much as possible. Uh, and I wanted to be there, and it goes back to that we said earlier about the you go into the kitchen, yeah, and you want to be part of it. Then yeah. uh, keeps you on your toes, and you can contribute whether it's bat, bowl, or catch. Be involved in the yeah. You get made captain in 1980, mm-hmm. um, but you failed. I mean, I'm using the word failed because ultimately, I suppose that's the right word to use to win a t- single match leading the team. What was it that? made it so difficult for you in in it terms was, of not winning a test? Well, first and foremost, I captained in 12 times and yep. 10 of them were against the West Indies, right. home and away. And we lost 1-0, uh, sorry, 1-0 and 2-0. Right. Uh, not 5-0, 5-0, 5-0. No, no, fair enough, yeah. So I thought we did well. Um, we had our chances in the, the very first test to, uh, to beat them, uh, but uh, a couple of drop catches at vital moments. Um, Did you want to change anything? When, when you're, what you're saying basically is sod the statistics, right? The fact of the matter is we played the best team in the world um, oh, yeah, yeah. Uh, of, a, of 10 of those games and really and truly we didn't do that badly. Well, and also you've got to put into the equation the fact that when we got back from the West Indies, the uh, selectors then said, oh, you, you're captain this next game. Game by game. And ri- ridiculous. Right. Totally unsettles everybody from right. the players to the families. Uh, everybody around the game in that dressing room was confused with this. In what way? Well, you, you've got no forward planning. Right. You know, I don't know what I'm going to be doing in the next test. Right. And I did it for the first set, Trent Bridge and then Lords, and that's when I resigned the captaincy. And uh, Alec Bedser then went on television and said, yes, he has resigned, but I was going to sack him anyway. 
Yeah, I mean, yeah, that's what you're dealing with. I mean, when yeah, not helpful. When you when you when you look back at it over that period of time, I mean, obviously it affected your form as well, didn't it? Definitely. Right. But is there anything that you look back on? Because we can all do this in our lives and and review things. If you had your time again in that situation, what would you have done differently? I wouldn't have taken the captaincy at 24. Not against the West Indies, for, but right. I saw that as okay. a, I saw that as a, a challenge. Like David Moyes taken after Alex Ferguson. Right. Yeah, exactly. Right. Yeah, so so I actually, um, it, it, with hindsight, and hindsight is a wonderful thing. But when I was offered it at twenty four, you don't say no. no. But um, with hindsight, I would if I'd have sat down and just held, reined it in for another year, year and a half. Uh, then we the Australians and India and et cetera, et cetera. That would have been the time to develop that skill. Right. But when you're up against the best side that arguably ever lived, you don't have that time to fine-tune it. They, they, they control the game. Right. And there was very little we could do. We, we had pockets of resistance, and we had little spells in the field where it all went well for us. But overall, it was an uphill climb and a very tough one. And you had to sit back and admire them, just think, crikey, these, these guys are just different league. But does that then translate? I mean, that doesn't translate. I mean, what you're saying, I suppose, is after the West Indies series, I've got the Australians, who were, we were a match for at that time, weren't we? Mm. And the fact that you've only been given the gig on a test-by-test -test basis is compounding the problem of... The fact you've been beaten by the West Indies, the media are on it and at it with you about the fact you ain't winning anything, mm. and then you've got the Aus the Aussies coming here and you haven't won in the first two tests and your form's gone to shit. There's a thing called continuity, right? And that's what was lacking, for from my point of view. But continuity is only a good thing, mate, if it's going the right direction. Though, isn't well, that's the point. We, we very hard to get it going in the right direction under those circumstances. It was almost a case of we went to the Caribbean and we knew we were going to get bombarded. But we, we survived that. Right. But we couldn't get over the edge. We just, as much as we tried and wanted to, they always countered us, counterattacked us in some way. They were simply the best. Yeah. So do you think it's unfair then that the observation of you at that time, from the point of view of how young you were to be the England mm -hmm. captain, but also the body of work that you had to embrace, which is the best team in the world, that ultimately you should have been either given more time, mm. more support. Do you know, I'd actually, if I'm 100% honest, when I actually resigned, I felt a different man. Right. In what way? I had weight gone off my shoulders. I can now clear the head. Right. And uh, because when you're a captain, and this is probably where I was not at my best, is that the, you you have to think about everybody else. Everybody else, yeah. And, and not so much, you know, if you're playing football, you know, the game runs itself. The players mm. run themselves. Captains really don't just about going tossing the coin, really. There's not, not a great deal to it on the field. Mm. Off the field, it's different. So it's like rugby. Um, there's probably more motivation from a captain in a rugby field than there is. So you must be able, or can you, let me say, not let me paraphrase your answer. I mean, you must identify or be able to relate to or understand to some extent what Joe Root said when he stepped down, because Joe Root said, I've loved leading my country, but it's hit home how much of a toll it's taken on me and the impact it's had on me away from the game. Yeah, it does. And uh, when we you got to the point that you had to keep trying to keep the guys thinking they can get there yeah, and do it. And when in my heart of hearts, I'm thinking it's going to take a miracle, this. We're right. going to, you know, something sensational has got to happen. And it didn't against the West Indies. But I, st I still say 1-0, 2-0 yeah. was a pretty bold effort. 
on and, you know, home and away back to back. Given what you were what you were playing against, were you a leader? Uh, I don't. Do you know? I, I've never been in that position since that day I resigned. I was uh, uh, Mike Brearley would probably back this up. He said, I, and Bob Willis certainly did. Uh, he's you are my sergeant major. You know, you're you're my man in the trenches, and that's how. And I actually, to be honest, I think that's probably where I was better. Mm. Captaincy, I think it was knocked out of me in that period. Right, and I don't think I was. I wasn't that bothered. I had no real interest in going back to it. So um, we had players, Gucci, you know, Gower, Gatting. Mm. You know, I, I'm fine. I was fine. Is there a difference in cricketing terms between a leader and a captain? I mean, I look at Kevin Peterson. And I think that there's there's certain aspects of him that makes him a leader, but not a captain, because I think he's a divisive character and all about himself. And I don't know if you agree with that. We brought KP over virtually, uh, our management group, and we actually managed him in his, when he first arrived. Mm. Yeah, he's not, you know, he wasn't the easiest to handle, but at the end of the day, he was focused on being the best, and that's what he wanted to do. And you know, his record is exemplary. You know what he achieved. Uh, as a captain, no, no I don't. No, yeah. I don't think he. I, he did captain for a couple of games or whatever in India, I think it was, and it. I think he was better off being KP, yeah, and playing for KP, and the team would benefit. Because there was a big thing, wasn't there? I think um, was it twenty fourteen or thirteen over in Australia, where the divisions between the popularity of Kevin Peterson and Graham Swan come to the fore, mm-hmm. and Swanee had all the popularity, but Kevin Peterson had some of the gravitas and cachet of being the best batsman and also the captain. And then you know, you've got this divided dressing room as a result of it because people like Graham and they don't necessarily warm mm. to Kevin. If you had been playing with him and you'd been in the dressing room with him, how would you have dealt with him? Well, if I was just one of the team, I, I would uh, just quite... Yeah, you know, you're a big personality. Yeah, yeah, but, I'd, 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 yeah. Yeah, but there's a time and a place. I wouldn't do it in front of the team. Yeah. If we were walking over to the nets or, or to whatever or walking... In, to the car park, then I'd have a chat. I'd just, but I'd just say, "Come on, mate, you're better than that. You can, you can help these guys. They need your help, and they need your your positivity." That's the way I'd have tackled it. I didn't play with them, so I don't know uh, if that would have worked. But I think a few players did have words with him. Mm. But whether they were constructive or destructive, I'm not quite sure. Mm. Because probably without a bit of both, play, though. Yeah, I would think so. It's mm. a fair chance. Yeah, but no, look, you know. It, KP has done extremely well for himself, and I wish him all the very best. But it's a little bit—he plays the way he commentates. Mm. You know, it, it's hundred percent all the mm. time, all the time. When I was taught a lesson from the late great John Arlott many, many years ago, when John said to me, when I just started uh, looking at commentary and working and, and doing little bits here and little bits there, you know, back in uh, nineteen probably eighty, somewhere around there. And he just said to me, he said, well, you're going to end up probably in television. He said, but remember one thing. He said, remember that there's a television and there's action. Mm-hmm. Your job is not to roll over the action, but to fill in it around it. it. Yeah. And that was a great lesson to me. And there are times you just let the game on the screen do the talking. Do you, um, this change of guard in commentary, there's a lot of stuff changing in, in the mm. media with people's perception of who should be in the media and who shouldn't be in it, mm. right? and who has a right to have an opinion and who doesn't. And yourself and Gower went out of Sky um, at the same time? Yeah. yeah. Uh, I already, um, 
I was just setting up the wine uh, business and I wanted uh, 23 years is yeah. a long time. Were, were you happy to go? I wanted to go. All right. Okay. I actually had uh, lunch with Barney Francis, who was then head of the department. And uh, I had lunch with Barney and I said, look, um, before you go any further, I said, my, we can enjoy this lunch a lot more because I don't, if you're yeah. happy with it, I don't, I'd right. like to not renew my contract. I've got other things to do. And I think that made it very easy for him because uh, I think that, you know, you have a shelf life. Right. And I was quite happy to see some younger people come okay. through. I think you'll see Stuart Broad in the commentary box. You might see Jimmy Anderson working mm. somewhere. Maybe he might be more radio than television. But um, but now I enjoy it. I, I do a lot of commentary, but I right. do it radio okay. in Australia. Right. So I spend um, four or five months, four months certainly in Australia in the winter and a month in New Zealand. And that's because I'm down there working. Uh, initially, I'm very proud of the fact that I'm trade envoy now to Australia. So I've enjoyed well done, that. Yeah. 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 And, you know, it came at exactly the right time when I started to think, now what am I going to what do? What does that involve for you? Uh, I, it basically it means I introduce that business in England yeah. to that business there, yeah. um, and go along and then listen to people what they've, uh, what they where they want to go, what they want to do. Can you help? Well, I've got people around me that can you, I can direct you to that person uh, to mm. discuss. Your facilitator, things. yeah, yeah, yeah exactly. exactly, yeah. What do you make of the, the the latest raft of commentators? You know, people say like NASA Hussain, because I I get the impression that sometimes they're sort of preaching to the world. And I wondered what your take on it was. Well, I, I think that uh, NASA's done extremely well. Uh, I think that series he's just done. About leadership. Yeah. yeah. Um, I saw a little bit of it. Um, It'll be interesting, won't it? Yeah, it was. And I think it's good. And he, he, he's a bright lad. Mm -hmm. And uh, I think he is a good commentator. Right. Um, I think uh, Mike Atherton's probably one of the finest writers. I agree. I think, uh, yeah. I, I think he's magnificent. Yeah. And uh, Ather's is a very good commentator. Yeah, look, I, I came, we came up in the Halcyon days mm. um, when you had Bob Willis, David Lloyd, yep. David Gower, yeah. Bumble's great, myself, Michael Holding, yep. and Warnie get then joined Whispering us death. Yeah, yeah. down the line. So that was probably the peak of it, I think. Because there was this framing of it, and, and, I, and I'm talking to you now understanding that you walked away from it. I don't think David Gower was as complimentary no, um, on the way out. Yeah. Um, and that's perhaps because his time had run, had run its course by other people's mindset but there's this framing and i because I, I always wanted i always like listening to you and i like listening to shane Warne, god rest his soul mm -hmm. and i like listening to michael holding and it felt like you guys were being positioned on the way out as the past that's the past now and we're in a new generation and i'm not sure that's right i think wisdom is something that that is that is accumulated over a period of mm -hmm. time and is never replaceable no and that's do you know, I, I, I say again, I, I think um, the time was right for me to walk. Uh, I'd thoroughly enjoyed my time with yeah. Sky. Going on to the current situation with the England team um, and what's going on currently with the Ashes and all that, that goes with that, but what do you make of Ben Stokes as an England captain? I think he's awesome. Uh, I'm amazed. He's like a duck to water. I always, you know, he's highly competitive. We've watched him see being the chairman of Durham. I've seen all the boys come through from since uh, uh, 2017, and Ben was always he was already on on the radar then by that time, but he's just uh, gone on from level to level, mm -hmm. 
and he he's a leader that I get the impression um, a little bit like Brian Close was for mm-hmm. us. You'd follow him. You'd follow him wherever he went. You, if he went through a minefield, you'd follow him, and you'd hope you know he he would find a way. And I think he's proved that in these tests. Um, you know, what's he good at? I think he's good at most things, to be honest. Right. Uh, he could do with a new knee. But, okay. Yeah, but apart from that, uh, no, he's he's great. Uh, his bowling is limited now. Right. But that's something because of the physicality. Yeah. Well, I think he's going to have to get that sorted. Right. And he's got to pick a time when he's got the gap to do it because mm-hmm. the games are always constantined up now, so mm-hmm. you don't get much rest time. Mm-hmm. Why, why Stokes are you getting the best out of the team? I mean, ultimately, we've, we've, we'll talk about Basball in a second, mm. but why is he getting the best from the team, which he, he does seem to be getting uh, a reaction in most instances? Well, he's, just not, he's not asking anyone to do anything that he hasn't done. Right. And he, hence uh, the point I made about Brian Close earlier on. Yeah. You know, he's, he's the guy that he puts an arm around you when he needs it. He engages you in conversation. You can watch all that, and you can see it from a distance. And the players, he, he's quite happy for them to come up and someone has an idea. And uh, he's learnt very quickly. And I think Brendan McCullum has been mm-hmm. a big uh, help to him. Right. And I think it's a totally different atmosphere. I think that's the important word, atmosphere. These guys enjoy each other's company. And that they bonded. And, for instance, before the last test, the guys all went off to play a bit of golf together. And they took them up to Scotland to play golf came back, not thinking about cricket, just thinking about who's going to win the money on the golf course, came back, and then they go into three days preparation or whatever whatever they think is needed, and they're ready and fresh and and happy to go. And I think that's quite important. It would be unheard of uh, in my day for the team to be taken taken up to Scotland to play all the courses or do anything like that. It just wouldn't happen. Yeah. It wouldn't have been considered. But um, now I think that different approach, uh, it's a hectic world. We live constantly with iPhones pointed at you and mm-hmm. et cetera. So to get the guys away and into a yeah. totally friendly environment. Relaxed mind, yeah. 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 And then they come back with a clear mind. Um, you mentioned uh, earlier on that you don't like um, the terminology, basball. Mm. And I had the same conversation with Steve Harmison. He mm-hmm. says, bullshit, it's a construct of the media. Yeah, of course like, it is. Which I think it is as well. It is. It's just front foot cricket and people being aggressive in what they're doing rather than me describe it's better coming from you I mean what is it that about basball besides what I've just said that you don't particularly like or dislike specifically I don't have a problem with basball uh, I have the way they what play what is basball right, exactly I was going to that's exactly my next point yeah. what, what is basball I don't know it's something that someone's concocted in the media mm-hmm. and uh, it's stuck and I don't think the players enjoy it very much why uh, because That's I think it's demeaning. It's it's, it's what what what's, yeah. what does it mean? I can't. I don't know what it means. And to me, what I see is I see a side with confidence. Yeah. A side that'll go out goes out there and they go out to win. Yeah. And uh, I just get the atmosphere. The basketball's nothing. Look, these guys in India, Pakistan rather, in sixty odd overs, I think it was seventy overs, scored for over five hundred runs. And that's unheard of. And they've broken records. And everyone says, oh, it's too reckless. And Well, they've played now, what was it? They played 12 going into this series and had won nine yeah. uh, or 10, whatever it was. And they've lost two here, but they've won now. 
And I have a feeling that they'll win at Manchester because... So do I, I bloody hope so. Well, yeah. <laughs> but I think the wheels are, are rolling now. And, right. uh, and it's just it's confidence. And that's what Ben and Brendan do. Mm. They, they instill confidence. And also tell yeah. the guys, you are a part of this yeah. machine and we're going to stick with you. So go out there is and that prove why they've right. stuck with, is, is that why you think they potentially stuck with Johnny Best, though? Yeah. Because it isn't on form, is it? No, but at the end of the day, it's, people have short memories in, in all professional sports, you know yourself. Yeah. But it's only a series ago when we played Australia in the Ashes in Australia, mm-hmm. and he went back-to-back hundreds Yeah. and was a higher scorer. Then he had the unfortunate accident with his leg, Yeah. and it's going to take a little Which while. Which is what Boycott's saying, saying he's not fit, isn't he? Well, I think... Boycott's saying he should be dropped. Yeah. Well, I can understand that, and I think other people will, but my attitude is I don't really want to change a winning team. Because I have a feeling that, you know, I think Johnny Bairstow will come to the front. He's that kind of guy. But when you thought, I would have thought that he would have come to the front in this test, in the test that's just gone at Headingley, because all the background noise that went on, and I'll be curious, I want to see what your take on that was, in terms of the run out and the lack of attention that he was paying and the fact that he's dropping, he is dropping a lot of catches, Bairstow. Yeah, he has dropped more than I've seen him drop for a, yeah. collectively for a long time. And I think that's because he's straining at the bit to try and get himself into a position where he's performing and probably overthinking it. You would know more about that than I. But I, I think that sometimes you have to be ruthless and you have to pick the best 11. If you've got your foot on the Australian's throat and there's one particular part of the team that isn't performing, which is the better one, Ian? Hold them in place to build a mentality in the, in the team that has a longer-term benefit or win the next fucking game. Mm. Well, they're going to win the next game, but they'll win it their way. And look, selection is at times very, very difficult because you have to factor so many things. Mm. Winning side is, I think, whenever you can, you always want to keep that winning side together. I think Johnny Bairstow's earned the right to play in the series because of the way he performed in Australia. And he's now, the worst game for him, the toughest game for him would have been Headingley because everyone expects. Yeah. Everybody yeah. expected. Every man and his dog wanted, expected Johnny Bairstow to go out there and blaze it around and what have you. Right. Let's see what he does at Manchester. If we're taking catches, this series would be almost done, wouldn't it? Yeah. If you correlate that to the slip catches that have gone down yeah, and yeah. The, the keeping, yeah, you're right. If we'd have caught 70% of those, yeah. we'd probably be right up there. We'd, we'd be, might, home, we'd be almost least, home and host, wouldn't we? We'd be at least 2-1 up, yeah. at least. What happened to Johnny as well uh, in that? ridiculous situation that was put in with the run-out uh, was stumping, technically. Where were you on that? I wouldn't do it. I wouldn't uh, entertain it. Uh, simply, it, the end of the over, Yeah. the umpire had already started walking in from he's, square leg. He's marked his crease. He's gone back, tapped behind the yeah. crease, and he's walked down tapping. He has no intention of trying to run. As far as he's concerned, the ball is dead. Yeah. And I think Australia got that wrong. Yeah. Uh, and I, I, I know that I was with... Great man, Jeff Thompson. I was with him last night. And I didn't say anything. He just turned around to me and said, why the hell did they do that? Mm. They said, all right, if you do it, but then just turn around and say, Johnny, yeah, be careful, yeah. carry on, mm. and we'll move. And I thought that the statement that came out of the England camp from a coach and captain was pretty spot on, and that is, I wouldn't want to win a match like that. That way, yeah. But I think the problem for the captain for Cummings was that his popularity in this country is irrelevant to him, isn't it? His popularity in Australia. What would have happened to him in Australia if he'd have gone, Nan, I'll tell you what, I'm going to reverse that appeal. We're not interested in having that. 
in Australia, they'd have been going after him, wouldn't they? No, I don't think so. I think I think you're getting there. There was a lot of, of ridicule, wasn't there, from the Australian yeah. press about our, well, our boys crying? Yeah. Well, to be honest with you, that's their game. Yeah, fish and chip yeah. wrappers. Yeah, that's yeah, all. Granted, yeah, granted. Yeah. So I wouldn't worry about what the written press because. Yeah, if England go on and win this game, they'll be at their own players' throats yeah. if they're not already starting to have a sniff around. So, um, yeah, look, all the press, you know, the, the Australian press at times can be perhaps, should we say one-eyed? Mm. But um, and that's been polite. <laughs> but, uh, yeah, look, it's it's no different to what happens with our uh, press. You know, if they get a B in their bonnet. Absolutely. And Basball is a prime yeah, example. Yeah. Uh, no one quite knows what Basball is, but it's been made up. So you know, good luck to them. Uh, but I think that'll die a death. Yeah, I, I often wonder what the media think these things are. It's like the money ball in football. They talk about money ball. I ask journalists what money ball means, and they haven't got a no, clue. No, no, no. It's a terminology that gets thrown around, and all of a sudden, when you actually pin them on it and go, well, what does Basball mean to you then? What does money ball mean to you? It means being buying the right players for the right money. Oh, right. Okay. Wasn't that what people are supposed to be doing forever anyway? <laughs> Where's the innovation in that? Do you get exasperated when I, when you're watching it? I know we talked about Bairstow and, and, and I watch him get out and then I watch Mo and Ali's shot selection and I sit there thinking, what's going through these players' minds in certain circumstances? Well, look, I think Mo and what he did was actually, he took one for the team, really. Right. As he said, okay, we, you know, let's get him out. Brooks is not a number three, as he showed out mm. throughout the game, but he played a lot better, as we know. Yeah. He still didn't get it home, which I thought he should have done, but uh, he played very, very well. Um, but then Mark Wood, who's come into his own, he actually, I remember him doing the same to the Australians in Sydney, and they mm. were scratching their heads, and he kept on hitting the captain out of the ground. Mm. So, yeah, I, I think um, what goes through their minds, uh, I, I think they want to dominate. Uh, the ball wasn't doing a great deal. I, I think Moen just got it wrong, uh, but he has, he's a good player, mm. and he's different. He's, uh, he goes out there, he plays in a different way, and he could just get you into a winning position batting at three. Uh, probably more likely to do that than batting at eight uh, with the, the tail to come. Uh, so, yeah, I don't. I didn't have a problem with that, and I don't have a problem if they do it again at Old Trafford. Doesn't bother me. What have you made about Michael Vaughan and a few comments that have been made um, in regards to the attitude between the players? A lack of too much pally-pally and too much friendliness going on. Um, I think that's gone out now after um, the Bairstow situation. He talked about, well, this is what he said, England have been too friendly with Australia this series and it's not the way to go. I don't think England are being smart. It all feels too easy and welcoming for Australia. Well, do you know, sometimes it's best not to poke the bear. Mm. So it can work both ways. It can. Uh, I know that the Australians, uh, certainly when AB took over, on border took over, yeah. and they were going through a real crisis cricket-wise, and he put his foot down and said, okay, um, no wives on this tour, and you don't speak to the opposition. Well, of course, you are going to speak to the opposition, mm. but the point was made, you know, this is it. And uh, he had a good t young team, and they did as told. No wives on tour was quite not quite the truth because I certainly had dinner with AB and his wife and my wife <laughs> in the middle of that series. So, uh, so the, but the thing is that England uh, now have the momentum. England are rolling and yeah. they're moving. And maybe what happened to Johnny Besto stirred it all up. He's a catalyst, yeah. yeah. And if that's the case, then go with it. And you can't go with it if he's not playing. 
uh, in that sense. So uh, you know, he he if I I don't know what he did do at the end of the game, but I'm sure I'll find out. But if I were Johnny Best, I'd have walked into the Australian dressing room with a beer and just say, "Yeah, let's have a beer." Yeah, and then have his beer and go. Mm. There's ways to play it, but do you think there's any validity though? I mean. Where's Michael coming from then? I know you can't speak for him, but he's obviously played in a series in 2005. Because I did some statistics without disappearing up my own ass. I wanted to ask you this. What's gone on in between England and Australia that's enabled them to dominate the way that they seem to have done? And it seems to be quite a significant swing in the last 30 years. Well, I think it's actually, I don't think it's quite that long because I think the real uh, problem we have at the moment is we're playing too much one-day one, one day cricket. Right. And this all stems from when uh, England went to play the 50-over World Cup in Australia and New Zealand and didn't even make it through the group. We're appalling. It's a, it's as bad as performance as I've seen. And then they came back from that and the, the tail between the legs and they then, the board, ECB said, right, we're now emphasising we want to get our white ball cricket sorted out. And we did get it sorted out. We won the T20 World Cup. Mm -hmm. We won the 50-over World mm -hmm. Cup. But everything shifted. Now, what we got to do is you, you, you can't have everything one way and the other. You, you've got to find a, a middle of the road. And I just think that there's maybe one too many uh, white ball games, uh, competitions. To me, if you lose red ball cricket and test match cricket, yeah. you uh, you actually... We won't know the game of cricket. It'll never be It'll the same. Here. It's finished. But the one game, I mean, the T20 stuff and the way that batsmen now play has changed the test outlook, hasn't it? Oh, yeah. Yeah. But it's for the better. I mean, the standard of so. fielding. Yeah. yeah. Standard of fielding has been exceptional, apart from those these catches. We, we get, everyone drops a catch, but hopefully that'll they've got that out of the system now. But, um, yeah, look, I, I think the uh, fielding is the most standout thing for me. Uh, the uh, bowling, um, at the moment, we just played on two dead pitches mm -hmm. and it showed. And uh, well, th th three, well, the first two pitches were appalling. Um, that's why we went, everything reverted to bang it in with two out mm -hmm. there and what have you. So you have to make a decision. And everyone goes on about the happy hookers England. Well, I'd just like to remind everyone that you need to have a look at how many Australians got out hooking the ball. Do you like the tribalism? in cricket that seems to be there at the moment, specifically with the Aussies? Well, that's always been there, the history yeah. of the game. Look, it's, it's the greatest tournament you play in. Mm. And, it's, and the, the, the cricketing world watches it. It's the one series that every cricketing nation yeah. will be watching with intensity and to see what's going on and seeing the way that England are now playing and the positive way they're looking to take the game to the bowlers. Uh, you have to be maybe at times a little bit more selective, but I'm not going to knock them for mm. that because... I think it's been great. They put bums on seats. You've had five full days. Uh, the ground's at capacity. Mm -hmm. um, well, I think it's great. I think that mm -hmm. yeah, winning that game headingly in the manner that we did, but most importantly, winning the game, it puts cricket at the front of people's minds for the right reasons. And we'll talk about some of the other things that are going on in cricket in a second. But when you played against the Aussies, did you did you hate them when you played against no, them? No, I, I actually, um, quite the opposite, actually. Um I actually respected and admired. Yeah, yeah, I thought these guys. When you think about it, let's put it in perspective. You've got more people inside the M25 than you have the whole of Australia. Australia, yeah, yeah. 
And to achieve what they've done in the sports, whether it's uh, men or women, yeah, the achievements they've had, whether it's cricket, rugby, football, you game, you go through it. It's every sport they've won World Cups, but it's irritating, and they don't do it with any magnanimity, do they? You know, they, <laughs> they enjoy it. You know, they make, make sure that everyone knows about it. Well, yeah. Well, like, what's wrong with that? I don't well, mind that. To a point, you know, I've always found with Australians that they come into this country telling us how wonderful Australia is, and I always say to them, "It's so wonderful. What do you believe and go back and live there?" But talk about hating Aussies. You, there's one you do hate, right? There's only one. Yeah. Chapel, right? Ian Chapel, yeah. yeah. What was it? The other day I saw you two doing a have you seen the Have you seen the doco? I've seen, I, what I've seen is um, a part where, we well, didn't last long, did it? Um, oh, you, the actual doco. You're, you're sat yeah. there talking to one, he's calling you a liar, um, <laughs> and you're asking him to explain precisely what happened in a set of circumstances, this happened and that happened. He's just so full of bullshit, it's unbelievable. Right. Is that going to end this feud? I mean, no, no he's no, an eight-year-old no. man, isn't he? Well, to, look, I, I really, it, to be honest with you, it, as far as I'm concerned, it, it's not the foremost of my uh, yeah. life. Uh, he, but he, I think someone wrote a, I saw a tweet that was sent to me and the guy, uh, after they'd been watched the full docker, and he just said, he said, blimey, he says, I've been waiting all these years to find someone that holds a grudge longer than my wife. <laughs> the 40-year grudge. <laughs> yeah, and it's a real thing, isn't it? Oh, yeah. Oh, it's a real thing. Someone was telling me about something about Sky and they had a camera on, the, on, on it was either Gal or someone, and in the car park, you're behind in the background and they've got this shot of you getting hold of Ian Chappell and they mm. go, let's move the camera out of the way because both of them's in the background about to clump him. Uh, yeah, I didn't. But, uh, but um, big Ronnie came and uh, moved us out. Ronnie who worked with Channel mm. 9. and uh, But... Do you know, he, he says, he kept on saying, uh, well, I'm not a fighter. Well, I'm not a fighter. Yeah. But when you continuously put your face in my face yeah. and you abuse me yeah. continuously. There's going to be a consequence. Uh, well, uh, somewhere along the line, you, yeah. you're going, the red mist is going to come down. And you know, people just say, even his own teammates he played with say, oh, it's just a stubborn bugger. You know, and I said, well, you can be a stubborn bugger. But, you know, someone one day, They'll have enough of it, mm. and he won't know what hit him. And it's not going to be me because everyone's expecting me to do it. Obviously, over the last couple of years, Ian, there's been a lot going on in cricket and a lot of controversy around the way that cricket is held together and the governing bodies and particular counties getting embroiled in controversy. And recently we've seen a report by the ICEC that's written about the state of English cricket. <laughs> And it's steeped in elitism, it's steeped in misogyny, and it's steeped in racism. And I wondered what you thought about when you when you see these things, and you read these things, and you're, you're it's a game you love, and it's a game that mm. that, that that was uh, most of the time very good to you. Is it a game that you reckon when you read this stuff? Is it a game that you recognise? You grew up in an era where you had players in the dressing room that were Black players coming into this country at a different time in this country's development with Viv Richards and Joel Garner and whoever else. And I know you made a stance mm. um, that ultimately involved you leaving Somerset and going to Warwickshire mm. because of the overseas rule and the fact that they didn't look mm. after Viv Richards and Joel Garner. But when you when you read these reports and you see the Asian Rafiks of the world and their observations about Yorkshire and institutional racism and classism and elitism, what's what's your reaction to it? Well, I don't know where it is, but I haven't played in the dressing room like that. Ever to generalise and paint everyone with the same brush mm. is wrong, and it's and I thought a lot of that was it's all 
basically heavily loaded, uh, I thought. And also, when you read through it, it's everything's anonymous. Absolutely. Everything's I'm, I'm anonymous. So I'm sorry, who is anonymous? Yeah. Introduce me to Mr. and Mrs. Anonymous. But they always say, I mean, the, the observation, if it, they say it's racism, and I know that I'm very conscious that we're mm. two middle-aged white men sitting in this conversation and, 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 and have our views, but we're the other side of the argument. If we're, if we're part of a conversation that's saying this country is institutionally racist and cricket's institutionally racist, then there must be a view that we're able to have as well about the fact that uh, the experiences that we have on the other side of the argument. When, when, when you look at it and you see, say, as in Rafik and what went on at Yorkshire, and, and you hear things like Monty Panasar saying, the only guy that can go in and run Yorkshire County Cricket Club is an Asian chairman. And if that was said on the other side of the argument, there'd be outrage. And you see people like Martin Moxon getting thrown to the wolves on the basis of observations that are based upon anonymity. And no one ever seems to be able to name anybody. And the, quick, the answer always is, well, because of my career. And because of my, if I start naming people, I'm not going to be able to go in that dress room. If I start naming them, I'm going to be vilified. But I can't make head nor tail of it, In I don't deny racism. You won't deny it. We live in a country that there are pockets of racism on every community, right? Yeah. But this observation about this report that's been written specifically that this sport is elite, it's full of elitism. Well, you didn't come from an elite background, did you? No. Buckers Mead Secondary Modern School. Yeah. And uh, it's... I mean, I read it. I read bits of it. To be honest, I threw it down the floor in the end. I just, to my eyes, it's a nonsense. Right. And um, a complete and utter waste of money that could have been well spent uh, doing other things. With well, the where's game. it coming from then? I mean, this this idea that our this, it, well, it this brilliant from, game that is racked with every single ism that you can think of. Well, there's been two and a half years this, that report has yeah. taken to write. Two, yeah. At least, I think, two and a half years, maybe more. Actually, it could well be more. But. Um, the, the point is that you are generalizing and you cannot generalize. There will be isolated incidents, but it, it, it can go both ways. Mm. You know, so it's not just a one-way street. So, but I am, whether I'm lucky enough or whether people knew, know my thoughts on all uh, racism and the stances I've made and the time I spent with Nelson Mandela and he, he tapped me on the shoulder and said, you're my hero. And I said, blimey, you got the right bloke. Mm. And he just said, no. He said, when I was incarcerated, he said, we knew you were taking the stances against South Africa and apartheid and uh, partisan. He just said, um, you're my hero. And I, and I think I spent a lot of time with him. Uh, I shared dressing rooms with Indian, one of the great, Sunil Gavaska, Alan Mosley, Joel Garner, Viv Richards, Richie Richardson, mm -hmm. all these people. And I stand here now. And I tell you, you find someone that says I'm a racist because there isn't anyone out there. And I don't, I think it, you cannot generalize as that document does. And I think you've got to be really careful. But to extrapolate it up, to mm. say that something is institution, that means every aspect of it. From Correct. The, from the dressing room to the guy at the top, everything is geared in a certain way to be elitist or to be misogynistic or to be racist. And that's not, I, not how I believe the world operates. Well, no one's interviewed me. Mm. No one asked me my thoughts on it. And uh, no one asked, uh, I don't know of anyone that was asked and interviewed before this report was put together. So on what grounds is it put together? Mm. And um, on whose say? 
And that's why I go back to Mr. and Mrs. Anonymous. Yeah. You know, anyone can write that. It's dragging Cricket's reputation through the mud, though, isn't it? Yeah, like exactly. Do you think uh, it's recoverable? Yes. Yeah. Do you think guys not, that, I don't think there's that much to recover. Me either. Honest. I think it, the dial will switch again. Yeah, and it will do when people actually open their eyes and read it and look at it. Yeah. Um, there's a lot of players. And I just hope that that uh, some of that stuff that's gone on at Yorkshire, I just hope that we don't end up with someone with blood on their hands. Mm. Because those guys, are, some, a couple of them I know, I'm not going to name them, but a couple of them I know whose lives have almost been totally destroyed. Yeah. And through it and and they don't know what they're meant to have done and no one's interviewed them no i've spoken to them i spent i also spent a lot of time speaking to michael vaughan about it mm. and his views on certain things do you think the right guys are running the game i think, think now yeah i think uh yeah i think look where do you go uh, with this you know every, you can say he's got it wrong he's got it wrong uh whoever commissioned that report um he definitely got it wrong but i think that the the guys now and the we mustn't overcomplicate it. And I get all bit fed up of hearing, we'll, we'll review this, we'll review that. Review what? You know, get on with it. And, uh, yeah, it's very frustrating, but I can hold my head up high, and I know that I have nothing to be ashamed of. Uh, and I don't know of anyone, as I say it again, I do not know of any instance or have I witnessed it. If you're t I'm talking about players. You can't do anything about what mm. the crowd shout. Yeah. And the crowd say, "I agree." And it's a so issue, you, that one. Yeah, yeah. So hang on, you can't blame the players for what uh, what comes off the uh, from the terraces. Uh, and so it's, they'll it's, say that they've got four thousand people that participated in this report. But I'm of the mindset. I'm not going to diminish what they've said. If you ask people to say something good, you'll get very few people say it. If you ask people to say something shitty, you'll get lots of people prepared to say it. Go to a restaurant, you have a good meal, you tell one person. Go to a restaurant, have a bad meal, you tell 10 people, don't you? Well, I'm not trying to trivialise it. The girls is a great example. The way they've come on, it's it's great. And at Durham, we've pioneering in that part of the world because we have got a massive following now of from girls from all ages um, coming along. We're hopefully be in a position to build a second oval at the back of the media box there. And that would be for the academy and for the girls, ladies, it, because it'll be a bit smaller, the boundaries, but they'll have all the facilities. It, it, it's exciting. It's good. And so how can people say... Uh, it's wrapped with misogyny. Yeah. They're giving specific examples about people walking into certain environments. But look, we are we are with these reports, aren't we? And they keep on being commissioned and people keep on seeming to want to be in a particular mindset mm. about the, the inclusion and diversity campaign that is constantly being driven by those that have agendas. Do you know, you cannot change history. No. and You can learn from it. Yeah, you, yeah. and that's the whole point of it. Yeah. So, you know, there's players are getting challenged over something they said 10 or 15 years yeah. ago. Well, that would have meant something totally different. Absolutely. I mean, in a different context. I mean, 50 years ago, whether it's right or wrong, people were watching Love My Bloody Neighbour on television, yeah. and no one would use that language. We've all said and done. Last question for you. How would you like the legacy of Sir Ian Botham to be remembered? I have a, I've had a saying throughout my career. I don't know where I got it from. I can't remember where I got it from. But I, throughout my playing time, I said to, I say to guys, listen, guys, you've got to ride the torpedo to the end of the tube. In other words, you're going that way. Yeah. Don't worry about what's gone that way. And you live and learn from your mistakes. And as a player, whether it's football, cricket, rugby, whatever, it doesn't matter. You learn. So mm. don't dwell on what's not good but embrace what is good. So ride the torpedo to the end of the tube. So 
I think I don't think you can put that on a gravestone, but um, go but, hard or go home. Yeah, <laughs> go hard or go home. I think it's a great saying. I think yeah. it's, I think it's for people of your mindset and the achievements you've had in your life. I think that's probably pretty apt. Well, I think I think just to say, I had fun. I hope you enjoyed mm. it. You know, and that's the way I loved it. I played the game, and to me, it was fun. Ian Buckham, thank you very much for being so upfront with me. Thanks, Simon. Upfront with me, Simon Jordan, is brought to you by William Hill. Future episodes can be found on YouTube, Spotify, or wherever you find your podcasts. 18 plus, please gamble responsibly.